you got a Bible, go ahead and grab it and turn to Genesis chapter 16. Uh, we're going to do something a little different this morning. Um, now, I know some of you came and you are ready to hear the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego getting toasty for Jesus. Uh, and man, I'm so excited to hear the woos. You're going to have to come back next week for that. Uh, and, and here's why. Um, because today is Sanctity of Life Sunday. And uh, what we do here at Fair Oaks on this day with so many churches around the country is we take some time to reflect on uh, what God has to say about the value of human life and how we can best respond uh, to the topic of abortion in our day. Um, now, I know the second I say that, some of you wish you did not come to church today. And so let me just begin by reminding us of who our God is, um, that our God is a God who is full of mercy and grace, and that when he sees our sin, his response isn't to recoil from us, but it's to move towards us uh, with forgiveness and healing. Um, isn't that what the cross of Jesus Christ is all about? And, and so um, if you hear the voice of condemnation today, and if you hear something pushing you down, just know that is not God's voice and that is not my intention. And you can tell the devil to go ahead and shut up. Seriously, shut up. I want to listen to Jesus right now because I can promise you this. If you would hear from him this morning, you will not leave here crushed but lifted up because this is what our God does. Even when, maybe especially when he meets us in difficult, sensitive places. And so um, if you were the person thinking, I can't believe I came to church today, just know um, I've been praying for you this week that you would experience this reality. Um, and I'm telling you, I'm praying for you. Can I just stop and pray for us right now? Okay, because I, I was going to say, if not, I've got the face mic. So let's just do this. Let's just begin and ask him um, to do everything I've been talking about. Jesus, we need you. Uh, we want to hear your voice this morning, louder than the voices of any others. There's so many voices clamoring on this topic, and Jesus, we want to hear your voice this morning. Um, so would you speak louder than any other voice? Uh, would you get me out of the way this morning so that we could hear from you? Uh, speak through your word. Show us your heart. Jesus, come in power this morning that we might have an encounter with you that would change our lives. Because we believe that you are where the life is at, and we want to come to you this morning and hear from you so we can experience the life you came to bring. Um, so help us to that end, be at work in this time, we ask in your beautiful name. Amen. Okay, so here's the deal. We live in a time where history is being made. Uh, where uh, after 49 long years, a row has been overturned. Um, and it, it really is beginning to look like there is a path towards a future where all life is valued in this nation. Um, but that path is not automatic. And, and if anything, I think the last year has revealed just how thick the cloud of deception is around the topic of abortion. Um, where Here's one of the craziest places I've experienced this, and maybe you experience this too. Um, I had friends uh, who mourned when they heard that Roe was overturned. 
Um, a, a lot of them, actually. Uh, good people, decent people. I mean, I think so. These are my friends. I mean, maybe they have a bad choice in who they make friends with, but these are good people, and, and they're mourning, and they're grieving. As I, and as I ask questions to so just try to figure out why, why the mourning at this thing that we've been working towards, like what, what could make someone sad in the face of that? And, and as I ask these questions, um, the question I heard come back at me, um, the question I heard kept being brought up is, what about the woman? What about the woman? What about the woman? As if there's this assumption at play that to stand for the unborn is to somehow stand against the woman that's carrying her. And, and so what I want to do this morning is just look at and maybe just challenge that assumption a little bit. Um, because it is a big assumption, and I think it's one that's keeping a lot of really good people out of the fight for life. And um, look, maybe you're one of those people, and you think I'm a fool for everything I've said so far. Um, here's what I'd ask of you, because again, I do have the face mic. Um, would you be willing to consider over the next 40 minutes um, if perhaps it is possible to care deeply for both the child in the womb and the mother carrying her? Like, look, I, I know that could sound crazy to you. I, I, I get that that can sound crazy, but would you be willing to just consider it while you're here this morning? Um, because what we see in the scriptures is that God cares deeply for both. And, and I think if we could get a vision for that this morning, it could open up some really interesting possibilities for us. So, um, so are you willing to consider it? Are, are, are you ready to look at it? All right, let's go. Uh, that brings us to Genesis chapter 16. Uh, where we're going to meet a woman named Hagar. Now, uh, Hagar is in the exact type of situation um, that would lead someone to say, what about the woman today? Um, Hagar was sexually exploited by an older man that saw her as nothing more than an object to be moved, used. Uh, a total Me Too moment in Hagar's life. And if that wasn't bad enough, when it was found out that she became pregnant, she had to flee her home for her own safety. Um, it is a tragic story that we actually looked uh, at in our Living by Faith series back in the fall. And so if you want to hear the whole story, um, you can look that up on our website. We went through the whole chapter uh, back in the fall. What we're going to do this morning is I just want to look at the heart of the chapter and zoom in on some things we didn't have time for. I want to zoom in on some things that are particularly relevant to the topic at hand. And so you've got Hagar who has been uh, grossly sinned against. She is pregnant, and she is now homeless. Can you just begin to imagine what's going through her mind? Can you begin to imagine the place that she's in? Like, how am I going to raise this child? What am I going to do? What are these things that have happened to me? What am I going to do? And, and, and look, in the ancient world, they didn't have a Planned Parenthood you could go to, but they had plenty of equivalents. Um, one of the most popular ones was going out into the desert and leaving your child there uh, to die due to exposure, to be picked up by slave traders, whatever. You can't, you, you can't have the child. And so this was one of the most common ways they would do it. And in Genesis chapter 16, that's exactly where we meet Hagar. 
And if you can't understand why she's out in the desert, I think you need to just pray and ask the Holy Spirit to grow you in some compassion this morning. This woman has been put in an unthinkable position due to the sins of others. And she's out in the desert, doesn't know what she's going to do, but God doesn't leave her there. Uh, We'll pick up the story in verse 7. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. Um, Some of you have this son, by the way. Um, I just want to point out, we we don't have time for the whole story. God richly blesses Ishmael, this very, very wild man. And so um, there's hope for your son, Selah. Verse 13. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Bir Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. Um, now, I just, I just want to point out something that you are trained not to see. And that is that Ishmael is still in utero at this point in the story. And yet, God knows his name. He knows his personality. He's like, yeah, this is going to be a wild one, all right? I'm just going to tell you from the outset, but it's going to be okay. I'm going to bless him. God knows his name. He knows his personality because here's the point. This is not a potential human life. This is a human life. And, and man, we, we unpacked what the scriptures say about that last sanctity of life. I'm not going to re-preach that sermon for you. I just want to point out that is not only what the Bible says from cover to cover, book one onward, but that is also settled scientific consensus. Um, this is going to shock some of you, but the idea that life begins at conception is not even debated anymore amongst biologists. Um, But don't take my word for it, by the way. Um, In 2018, Dr. Stephen Andrew Jacobs uh, conducted a survey at the Northwestern School of Law at University of Chicago. And what he did for this survey is he surveyed 5,502 biologists across 1,058 academic institutions, asking them the question of when does life begin? Now, you would expect a wide variety of answers, or maybe you would expect uh, kind of the answers we're being told from culture today. But no, here's what he got. These are scientists, people. 95% or 5,212 biologists all said that life begins at fertilization. This is not even being debated scientifically. And I point this out to you um, because... Um, what I've heard a lot over the last year is, is, is I've tried to engage and talk about life is, well, that's like your religious opinion. And, and I'm very willing to say the Bible said it first. But I also want to be quick to add science backs it up. 
And I think this is actually an incredible apologetic for our faith. To say that thousands of years before these scientific disciplines were developed to understand these things, God's been telling us this the whole time. That maybe this is the true word of God. Maybe we would do well to pay attention to this as if a light shining in a dark place to point us the way home. I think it's an incredible apologetic for our faith to say even people that hate the Bible have to look at this text and go, yeah, that's scientifically accurate. This is what the Bible teaches cover to cover and any honest scientist will tell you the same. For those taking notes, the first thing I'm pointing out is that God sees Hagar's unborn child in the womb, and he loves him. Just as he sees every child in the womb today at every phase of development, and he loves them because they are his creations. And he delights in them, just as we see him delighting in Ishmael in utero here. And he chases after Hagar, and he says, go back, Hagar. Have this child, because his name is Ishmael, and I love him. But that's not all God says. And in fact, this is what I want you to really see today, that With all of that being true, that's not all there is to the story. And that's not all God says. Because some people act as if God's care ends there. That God cares deeply for life in the womb. And the second that you're born, it's like God kind of becomes disinterested. But I want you to look at how he engages Hagar in this story. Uh, See, uh, Hagar is in the desert. And what we are told is that God chases after her. And when he finds her at that spring, he says, found you. And she's like, what? She doesn't realize that God has been chasing after her and pursuing her. But here in the desert, in her darkest days, she has an experience with God that she will never forget. Um, He shows up to her, found you. And then he starts asking her these questions. How'd you get here, Hagar? What, what are your plans? What, what are you thinking? Like, what, there's no judgment in that. It's a question. Like, what are you thinking is next? Where are you going from here? Now, now I'm going to go on a limb and say if he knew her name, he knew the answers to those questions. Are you with me? God knows the answer to these questions, but he asks her these questions to draw her out in relationship. He says, tell me, Hagar, how did you get here? Tell me, what are your plans from here? Where are you planning to go from this place? These are not the questions of a God who is disinterested in Hagar and only cares about the child. These are the questions of a God who loves her enough to show up in her life and slow down and ask questions about where she's coming from before he says word one about the value of that child in her womb. He shows up, he asks questions first. He loves, he cares, and yes, he does get to speaking up for Ishmael, but before he ever gets there, he speaks to Hagar. Because here's the point, he doesn't just see Ishmael, he also sees Hagar, and he loves her. And I think sometimes, those of us in the pro-life movement, we could be so zealous to stand up for life in the womb that we can forget the life that is right in front of us. 
And what we see is God doesn't forget the life that's right in front of him. Before he ever speaks up for Ishmael, he draws her out. He chases her down. He asks her these questions because for God, it's not a competition. Does he care about Ishmael or Hagar? He cares about both. And so in the same way, he loves and sees and wants to defend Ishmael. He loves, sees, and wants to show up and defend Hagar as well. And I think a lot of us can learn from the Lord in this. That it doesn't lessen your commitment to the unborn to have compassion for those that are in impossible situations. To show up and ask and say, maybe I've never been there. Can you tell me what it's like? Where have you been? Tell me your story. Where are you going? I don't want to assume what you're thinking here. I want to hear from you. I think there's a lesson we can all take from how God draws her into relationship. Because he sees her and he loves her. I think there's a lesson for us here. I also think that this story just breaks every modern category we have. Right? Like, you're not sure what to do with God right now. Like, when he stands up for Ishmael, like, we are trained to say, oh, so God doesn't care about women. But here he is, drawing her out, asking questions, showing love, showing care, showing concern. This breaks our modern categories. And and like I said, I know it's so easy. It's so easy to, in light of the first point, say that God doesn't care about women. But I want you to point out, not take my word for it. I want you to hear from a woman. I want you to hear Hagar's response to this whole thing. Because maybe you're like, you're reading into that. You want to see that in the story. Okay. Okay. Let's look at verse 13 and see what Hagar took away from this. She says, you are a God of seeing. She says, you've seen me. And if we had time for the whole chapter, you'd have to see that God is the only one. Abraham doesn't. Sarah dang sure doesn't. And so she's like, God, you see me. You are looking after me. You are taking care of me. This is incredible. This is amazing. This is, see, this is what you've got to see. Hagar meets a God who is unapologetically pro-life. A God who shows up and says, That child in your womb, his name's Ishmael. He's going to be a wild donkey of a man. I love him. She meets that God, and her conclusion walking away is, he sees me. He loves me. He is for me. And that's why I wanted to look at this story this morning, to lift it up so that we could maybe challenge our modern categories a little bit. That it's either this or this. In in this verse 13, I I will tell you this. This you are a God of seed, it is one, it is an incredibly important verse to understanding our God. Um, Because this is the first place in the Bible that anyone gives a name to God. And I want you to notice it's a woman. And and if you don't think that's significant, let me just blow your mind a little bit. This verse is the only occurrence in any ancient literature of any woman ever naming God. You won't find this in any other religion, in any other text. Some of you are like, well, that's sexist. Yeah, it is. That's the point I'm making. For 
thousands of years, the Bible has stood above various cultures and had to correct their view of women, to lift them up, to raise them up from the terrible forces at work in our broken world. This is nothing new. The other religions wouldn't let women do this, but God's like, that's silly. I love her. I'm for her. And Hagar, she experienced this firsthand. This isn't theory to her. God shows up in her life. He chases her down. He asks her these questions. He draws her out. He understands her heart. And Hagar, I mean, man, her experience is like, God sees me. This is incredible. Like, can I, can I call you Elroy? Because that, that means you see the God of seeing in Hebrew. She's like, can I give you a nickname? Because this is so cool. And I can only imagine God's like, well, it's kind of a weird nickname, but sure, let's go for it. I love you. I'm for you. Let's put it in the Bible so everyone can know, so we can challenge other cultures that would say, no, you don't have a place here. This is who the God of the Bible is. He is pro-woman when nobody else is. And so that's then. Now we come to a culture that claims to be pro-woman because it fights so hard to make abortion accessible for all. Does that claim hold up? Um, Maybe some of you know this. I think I shared these stats last year. um, That following an abortion, women are 34% more likely to develop anxiety disorders, 37% more likely to have depression, 110% more likely to abuse alcohol, and 155% more likely to commit suicide. And we're supposed to believe that the pro-choice movement is about women's liberation? I'm calling BS on that. And I think it's time that more people stood up and scrutinized this. And it's not just me. I put the stats in the worship guide so you can look this up. This is from a massive Cambridge study on this. They're not on our team. They're not biased to show these conclusions. They're just looking honestly at the data. And I just wonder, like, at what point do we step back and say, maybe we've lost our flipping minds? Maybe we're not so different from every other human culture in history that has required God to step into our space and to say, yeah, there's some good stuff there, but here's what's broken, and I need to correct that and lead you into life. Maybe we're not smarter than every other human culture. Maybe we are not the exception to the rule. Do you ever think about that, or do you just assume that you know everything? See, there's this assumption in our culture, that to be for the child in the womb is to be against women. And the scriptures want to step into that space and lovingly challenge that assumption. To say that there is a God who is the source of life and love. And if we want to know life and love, we have to look at him and not culture to calibrate our understanding of what is pro-woman. And I believe he wants to calibrate our understanding this morning. Just think about this. Is it possible that when the word of God says that life in the womb is valuable, it's not just looking out for life in the womb, but it's also looking out for the women carrying them? I mean, do you ever even think about this? 
Or do we just assume that all the celebrities out there in culture know something that God doesn't? And look, I, I know it's so easy to say, well, that's easy for you to say as a dude. But I would just point out this is not just me saying this. This is Hagar's testimony. And I think it's time that maybe we listen to her voice this morning. She meets a pro-life God who is for the child in her womb and stands up. And her conclusion is he sees me, he's for me, he loves me. According to Hagar, you can care deeply for children in the womb and the women carrying them, especially when they're in vulnerable places. That's Hagar's experience. And, and that leads to the third thing I wanted to point out from this story. Hagar is in a vulnerable place, an impossible position. And, and God doesn't just show up and ask her some good questions. He doesn't just tell her, hey, I'm for you with some platitudes. No, God actually shows up and provides for her. He provides real help for her. What he says is, hey, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to keep you. I'm going to take care of you. He makes these promises to her, which in the book of Genesis, promises are a big deal. And if you keep reading the story, what you'll see is you go along in Genesis chapter 21 after Ishmael is born, Hagar will again find herself in this impossible situation raising this boy. And she's again in an impossible situation. And in Genesis 21, God shows up in the midst of her impossible situation. He hears her cry and he shows up and provides with a miracle to take care of both Hagar and Ishmael. And Ishmael grows up and is blessed just like God said he would be. Here's that third thing I want to see. God sees Hagar's child and he loves him. God sees Hagar and he loves her. Number three, God is a refuge to both Hagar and her child. From womb to tomb. And he sees no conflict between these two. He's not like, ah, I really want to help Ishmael out. Sorry, Hagar, don't have enough grace, don't have enough power, don't have enough uh, resources to help you. No, God is a refuge to both Hagar and her child. He sees no competition between the two because this is who our God is. He's bigger than our worldly categories. He's not pitting mother against child. Because the same value drives both. He says, I made both of you. I love both of you. And I care too much about you to take sides. And so he shows up and becomes a refuge and gives both exactly what they need to make it. God is a refuge for mother and child from womb to tomb. And I, and I just wonder, what if the church was known for this today. I mean, isn't this the whole point of the church? That we are to be a people so full of the life and love of God that that begins to spill out to the world around us and to shine light into darkness, that, that, that we receive from God and then what he does in us begins to shine out into the world around us? Isn't that the whole point of the church? So I was thinking about it this week, and I'm like, 
This vision of God with Hagar is beautiful. I think where we get jammed up is connecting that to the church. And just think, like, what if we did this, what we're seeing in Genesis 16, here in this place? Because I said at the top, we're living in a day where history is being made, uh, where Roe has fallen, and state after state, we're starting to see people rise up and defend the most vulnerable to create policy that is just and to protect life in the womb. But we're not seeing it here. In fact, in the last year, California has gotten more violent in its fight for abortion. We are living in the front lines of the defense against the march of progress. And and in this cultural climate, I know it is so easy to just want to be quiet about this. It's so easy to want to say, I like your second sermon point about God being pro-woman. I'm going to take that little fact about a woman being the first to name God. That's sweet. But could you not do the first point again? I know it's so easy to just want to be quiet. Like, I'll have some real talk with you. I don't consider myself a coward. But I've had times in the last year where I'm afraid to wear this shirt. Because I don't want to lose friends. I don't want people to write me off as one of those nut jobs. And I think that's wrong. Because how is this place ever going to get any better if we take our light and we hide it under a basket? I have been so frustrated at my home state in the past year going, are you freaking kidding me? But how is it going to get any better if I just give myself to frustration and hide my light under a basket? Isn't God's whole plan to go into darkness and to shine his light and to shine his love? And I've had to repent of some of my heart towards this state. I've had to realize, like, man, it's not the people voting for this madness. It's the cloud of deception that's caught up a lot of really good people. And look, I'm not saying your response to this sermon should be to go get a t-shirt and to wear it everywhere and to be obnoxious about what you believe. I am not saying that. Um, What I am saying is I believe that we need to find a way to let our light shine. If we believe that the gospel is true, if we believe that there's a God in heaven like this who loves us and that that love is available to anybody, how much do we have to hate our neighbors to put a, a bushel over it and not let them know? If we believe this is true, I think the only sense response that makes any sense is we've got to let that light shine. And, and here's where I'm at on this. I actually think the darkness of this state makes us the best place to let our light shine. I, 
I mean, just dream with me for a minute. What if we said, um, for every dollar you spend to fly a woman here to have an abortion, we're going to spend $2 to care for that woman and her child? What if we said for every ounce of energy and creativity you have to make ads about how cool this is and, and what you're doing, we have more energy because we're fighting for twice the population. We're fighting for mom and child, and we're not going to give up, and we're not going to shut up because we know God is on our side, and the ultimate arc of history is bending towards him. We know we're on the right team, so we're not going to hide anymore. What if we started saying that? What if as we committed ourselves to this, God showed up just like he did in Genesis 16, and he starts meeting the Hagars of our day with his love and his grace, and in our churches, they began to find a type of refuge that would care for them where they're at, that would make them feel seen, loved, known, protected, and able to move forward with courage into the scary things that they might be called to. What if in the valley of the devil, right here in Diablo Valley, in the center of a state that has proclaimed itself an abortion sanctuary, what if abortion centers started closing their doors because they didn't have business anymore, because women found so many better options, they were just not interested? Can you imagine if right here in the heart of all of that, do you think that that might change the cloud of deception in our world today? I do. And so that's why we've spent really the last year working with Love Life to become that kind of place. Because we're living on the front lines, y'all. And there's something that can be terrifying about that, but there could be something that can be exciting about that, because I think this is where change happens. Um, if, if you're new here, Love Life is an organization that we rolled out a partnership with last year um, that exists to mobilize and equip the local church to bring the hope of the gospel and the help of the local church to women in crisis pregnancies. And uh, one of the ways they do this is through their House of Refuge program. Uh, this is where a church makes an intentional commitment to be in a safe place for women to run to when they are considering an abortion. And to not just say that we're pro-life and pro-woman, but to actually demonstrate it in how we spend our time, our money, and our energies. Uh, and I am excited to announce today that we are officially going public as the first house of refuge here in Diablo Valley. Yeah. Uh, and, and here's what that practically means. Some of you are like, I want to clap, but I need to know. What, do you, what does that mean? Okay. Um, a few times a year, we're going to publicly read a House of Refuge statement that summarizes these beliefs and commitments. Uh, don't worry, it's not going to be a whole sermon every time. <laughs> um, we're going to post it on the wall. We're going to post it on our website. We're going to post it all over until we become known for this. We're going to fund this ministry we're going to cover it in prayer. And when God brings women like Hagar through these doors, we are going to ask Jesus to empower us to be his hands and his feet and his presence in her life. Because what we see in this story this morning is that Jesus is a refuge for women like Hagar and her child. This is who our God is. And this is people, this is who we want to be, right? Right? 
We want to be a house of refuge. So, so that's the plan. Um, do you want to hear the house of refuge statement? <clears throat> okay. That would have been awkward if you were like, no. Okay, um, so this largely comes from Love Lives House of Refuge program. We've just put some of this in our own language uh, to kind of fit what we're doing here. Uh, it says this, if you find yourself in an unplanned pregnancy, we know this is a vulnerable and scary place to be. We want you to know that God sees you and loves you, and as God's people, so do we. Whatever comes next, you do not need to walk through this alone. As a house of refuge, it is our desire to be a tangible expression of God's love in your life. We imagine you may have some questions, so please read the below to learn more about what we believe and what you can expect from us. And then it has two sections. Here's what we won't do and what we will do. We want to set expectations. We want people to understand what can they expect here. This is a vulnerable and scary place to be. And so here's the what we won't do. Just to put our cards on the table... We believe that life begins at conception and that God deeply loves the child he is knitting together in your womb, just as he loves you. In light of this, we can never support or encourage you to have an abortion. We also believe that God is a God of redemption and grace. And so no matter how you got pregnant, we will never gossip about you, shame you, or abandon you. Here's what we will do. We will do everything in our power to remove whatever obstacles stand in the way of you having this child. There are people in this church ready to meet with you, throw you a baby shower, connect you with the resources you need, and walk with you every step of the way, both before birth and after the birth of your child. We will also hold men accountable for living out their calling to provide and protect women and children. Finally, if you have ever had an abortion in your past, we want you to know that abortion is not an unforgivable sin. And that whatever you have done or has been done to you, it is not bigger than Jesus' ability to forgive and restore. It's a house of refuge. We want to help you experience that good news. And therefore, we are here to pray with you and walk with you through your journey of healing as well. That's the statement. And look, these have got to be more than just words for us. This has got to be a commitment that we are making to the people that Jesus cares deeply about in this valley. Because when Jesus shows up in these difficult places, what we see in this story is that lives are saved, that legacies are transformed, that hope is found, and joy begins to dawn. And I believe that, not just because I've seen it in Genesis chapter 16, but by God's grace, I've had the opportunity to see it with my own eyes. And so we actually put together a little video of something happened this week uh, to give you just a glimpse of this in action. So um, check this out. We are so grateful to the Lord for the mighty outpouring of love that he demonstrated through Fair Oaks Church today at this precious mama's baby shower. When we met this mom, she was just finding out that she was just under eight weeks pregnant and she was torn and she was conflicted. And praise God that we had a team that was ready to share the hope of the gospel and the help of the local church in one of her most dire times. 
It has been a journey. If I were to explain some of the challenges that this mama has faced, not just in the time that we've known her, but over the course of a lifetime, it would be hard to fathom how one would process through some of those difficulties. But praise God that He has allowed us to be able to come alongside of her, to minister His truth to her, to be able to be His hands and feet in a very tangible way during a a time of need in her life. And not just her life, she also is a mom to two other children. We got to hold her youngest baby and play with her and um, just enjoy her as well. I just believe that God is going to use this in her life to continue to demonstrate that He cares for her, that He has plans for her, and that they are good plans. And it's just a joy and an honor and privilege to be able to partner with Fair Oaks Church to be able to show moms like her that we love her and we're for her and that we will walk alongside of her. Our hope for this mom is that God would provide a mentor for her to walk alongside of her and continue to disciple her in a relationship with Christ and that this family would grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ in the coming days. So please join us in prayer that God would do that work in her life. I know we're a small church, but what if stories like that got out? What if God brought a dozen women to us here and we were able to be the hands and the feet in the presence of Jesus and they got to meet Jesus like Hagar and find that there's a God in heaven who loves them, who will care for them, that there could be a hope and a future there. What, What if it wasn't just us? What if God began to stir in churches around this valley, this same commitment, and God sent a dozen women to each one of those churches, and each one of those women found a tangible expression of God's love and care like Hagar did? Like, man, how could Planned Parenthood compete with that? I know that the abortion industrial complex, it is massive, but you know what's bigger and older and going to last forever? the church of Jesus Christ. This is the kingdom that's never going to end. This is the rock that begins small and grows into a mountain that fills the whole earth with life and love. And I know we're lacking some love in this place. But what if we trusted him to do this in our day, just like he did in Hagar's? I'm telling you, I see an end to abortion in our day. I see it, but it will not happen if we hide our light and hope that politicians will take care of it. I think the only end is when we get up and shine the light of our God who is a refuge. Because it's his grace that changes things. It's his mercy that leads to repentance. It's his power that leads to new possibilities and new life where we thought there was none. And so I just want to end by talking about his power. Because as I've thought about, like, where are we stuck? What's going on with this? Why is this cloud of deception so thick? I think, I think one of the things that's going on is there's so much darkness around the issue of abortion, where 
we as a church haven't done a good job of making space to be real with what we've been through. And so we've hid the things in our lives. And I just want to, like, man, in the darkness, that is where strongholds are strong and where the enemy flourishes. And so I just want to punch the devil in the face this morning and try to shine the light of the gospel on maybe the things that we're keeping dark because we fear we have to. Because the gospel is the power of God to break strongholds and to bring life and to build the kingdom. And so um, there's a story in Luke 7 that I just want to remind us of. In the end, and maybe you've never heard this story. It, this is incredible. In Luke chapter 7, there is a woman who hears Jesus is in town. And, and what we're told is the woman is a sinner. She is a known sinner. She's the type of sinner that society would look down upon and say, you don't belong here. But she came to the end of herself. She said, I have no other resources, no other options. I'm at least going to see if this Jesus is any different. And she comes to Jesus and tears begins to wipe his feet with her tears. And I know it sounds weird, but it's an act of honor that she's trying to do. And there's a religious person in the room that says, if Jesus was the real deal, he would know who this woman is and tell her to get out. And Jesus looks at that man and says, you've misunderstood my heart. You've misunderstood my heart. And he gives this incredible teaching about, he came for women like that, for broken men and women who feel like we have so much shame that, that we can't be honest about it. Jesus, that's the very reason I came. He says, you've misunderstood my heart. She gets it. And she loves me much because she's been forgiven of much. What Jesus tells him is like, yes, her sin is many, but my mercy is more. It's greater. It's stronger than anything that's been done. This is the gospel. The whole reason Jesus came into the world was to remove our sins and to remove our shame so we wouldn't have to pretend anymore and we could come into the light and experience forgiveness right in that place we need it most. Right in the place we feel like, I can't believe this, I can't talk about it. Jesus says, no, it's in that place that my love is the most real. So I just want to end by reminding us, I don't know where this sermon's hit you. Maybe you've had an abortion and you've not brought that to Jesus yet. What I want you to hear this morning is not only can you be forgiven, but that you might be the place where his light shines best here. This is how it always happens, is people find healing and grace in Jesus' name, and that grace shines. It's not just that he forgives us, but those that have been forgiven love much and shine light much. And so you might be one of the leaders in this movement. And the same is true if you've been complacent about abortion and you're like, man, we had this sermon a year ago. I can't believe I haven't done anything with it. Don't give yourself to the darkness that would say you have to hide that shame. Come into the light this morning. Come to Jesus and say, Jesus, thank you for dealing with my sin. I'm not going to hide that anymore because I'm sick of carrying it and I want to come to you and to receive your life and your love. And so look, I, I wanted to end this sermon by telling you, go to the table in the lobby after service. 
because darkness will be pushed back as we let our light shine. And we've got a house of refuge table in the lobby where you can find three ways to get involved. This is something I believe we can all be involved with. And I do want you to check out that table after service. But before you go to that table, I want to invite you to this table here to come to Jesus wherever you're at this morning and to believe that this sin that I'm carrying, it's not bigger than your cross. And I want to draw near to you and see if you're the real deal and if you'll meet me like you met Hagar. I promise you if you would come forward to this table with that kind of faith this morning, the God who met Hagar in her desert day will meet you in this day and he will send you out of here radiating. And so I'll just end by praying for us and then we'll take some time to come to the table and sing to Jesus for all he is before we head out of here and get at all the plans I was starting to get out there before. Let me end by praying for us. Jesus, thank you that you are rich in mercy and kindness. Thank you that you came into the world to make an end of our sin, to destroy strongholds, to break the darkness with your light. Jesus, I pray that you would do that in this moment. Would you come in power? Would you send your Holy Spirit to shine your light into our hearts this morning? Would you shine it where we need it most? Would you help us to believe that we've not gone too far for you? that your love is greater, that your love is stronger, and that you have mercy that reaches far beyond our ability to mess things up. Would you meet us in this place? Redeem us with your grace so that you can send us out of here as messengers of reconciliation, of the God of refuge. Meet us in this place for our joy and for your glory and for a difference in this world, we pray. Amen.